Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. Greetings for Ex Libris on Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Finding Freedom in God's Promises. And joining me from near Washington, D.C. in Virginia is author Beth Gable Hicks. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This is uh, not the first book you have penned. You have uh, other books in this same uh, field. What was it that motivated you to, to share this particular topic in writing? Well, it was sort of a life change. Um, at 50, which was, well, three and a half years ago, my husband passed away suddenly from cancer. Hmm. Uh, we were told on a Tuesday that he had stage four, and by that Sunday, uh, Christmas Eve, he passed away in my arms. Wow. And it was very uh, life-changing, obviously, and very, uh, I had to find a new purpose, in a way. I was a, a churchgoer, my husband was Catholic, and um, he was ready to go. He didn't want to leave me, but he was comfortable with um, the next life, and so I had to decide what was next for me. I had been used to sort of taking care of him. Um, he had survived a heart attack the year before, and I suddenly had to come up with what, what's my purpose in life? What do I do now? And I was between jobs and um, was sort of called to write this book, um, the first one in particular, um, The Importance of Christian Friendships. Before my husband passed away, he said, well, I know you're going to be just fine because you have wonderful family and wonderful Christian friends. Hmm. And I knew that was true, but I began to think about that after he passed away. And I thought, well, what makes, that, what makes Christian friendships different? What does the Bible say about friendships? Uh, how are we supposed to be towards one another? Right. And it's not that any of us are perfect, uh, Christian or otherwise. And, uh, but at least the Bible gives us some instructions about uh, through the way Jesus lived his life and what he instructed others um, in well, forgiveness and understanding and compassion and um, not condoning others or judging others. Uh, many of those things that come out uh, in the Bible are good Christian traits that as uh, Christian friends we can look to. So absolutely. I found strength and courage from writing the first book and looking into Christian friendships. And now the second book, I've taken that uh, strength uh, a little bit further and finding strength and um, confidence and comfort in uh, God's promises. I began to think uh, after the first book, uh, well, gosh, there are a lot of promises in the Bible that God's made. What would life be like if we really believed those promises and if we really lived according to that? And it, it can be quite life-changing, and it was quite freeing. Well, you a lot of people think of religion as being restrictive. Absolutely. Um, it became quite freeing to, to think in those terms. So that's what my second book is about. <laughs> now, you, you have, uh, have taken a, a negative situation that uh, hit your life but relied on your faith. Some people take the opposite direction. Your book, Finding Freedom in God's Promises, I've uh, read through it uh, briefly, and uh, am finding it is a very positive book. You have a positive outlook on all phases of your faith. Uh, is, was that something that was difficult for you to come to grips with, or was it something that was just inbred uh, in your faith? 
Well, I think it came from my faith um, growing up in the church, but um, it, it's hard sometimes to find. I just feel really blessed that when my husband did pass away that I suddenly had from God a sense of peace, a sense of strength, and a sense of purpose. And it, it doesn't necessarily happen in the same way for everyone. But, yes, you, but I'd you, like to share my story of how it happened for me. And it was a change in that before then, a lot of what I did career-wise and so forth, um, I was, had political positions here in Washington, D.C. Right. Um, as a political appointee and enjoyed that life and, and had a great life. Um, but after my husband passed away, I thought, well, whatever I do next should be even more in accordance with what God wants me to do from here on out. And so I feel very grateful and fortunate um, and thankful that uh, I was given that purpose. You have, Yes, you have twenty about 20 chapters, and some of the chapters just for my listeners so they'll get an idea of, of uh, the approach of the book. Uh, chapter 1 is Letting God Be the Judge. And then the second one, chapter 2, is Relying on God's Presence. Uh, accepting God's mercy, trusting God to fulfill our needs, those types of uh, chapter headings, uh, getting our strength from Christ, relying on God to overcome temptation. Uh, you also have one that I'm sure was a, a very personal chapter for you, leaning on Christ for sustenance and rest. And uh, one thing that also caught my attention was there's hope for the future you have in chapter 19, anticipating the second coming. Now, there are some people in the church world or in the religious world that don't believe that's going to happen ever, and yet uh, that's one of the uh, highlights of, of many evangelicals who believe in Scripture and are anticipating the future. Uh, this is another part of your positive message, is it not? Yes, it is. And uh, for that last part, you know, Jesus promised that there are many rooms. Um, if there weren't, I wouldn't be saying so. Um, I'm paraphrasing that, obviously, but uh, that, in a nutshell, uh, gives you hope that uh, there is another um, world to come. And there's so many, based on that, there's so many freedoms um that we can find now, and you mentioned one was freedom and condemnation. Right. So many of us think that Christ came to condemn us, um, but to quote one scripture, John four seventeen, it says, "For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him." So yeah. by repenting, by accepting His mercy, we're free from that condemnation. Uh, and it's, it's something that gets lost in our everyday world so often. Absolutely. And I think it's because Christian, you know, we let Christians maybe condemn one another and condemn us uh, when we should be following Christ and looking to him. Well, good advice. You, you are involved in church ministry in your local congregation. And uh, in Chapter 1, one of the things that I noted about the way you have written this book, and uh, I, I'm guessing it was purposeful, uh, you have it broken into subheadings. Uh, the first chapter says, let God be the judge, is the first section of that. And then you discuss the uh, nature of anger, taking a, a uh, scriptural approach from there. God is supreme is another part of that. God is sufficient, and God will judge us all. There, there are subheadings in here, subchapters. Would you refer to your book maybe as a devotional, or would you call it a study guide? How would you describe it? Well, it, it can be a devotional for an individual, uh, just to sort of read through and absorb bit by bit. Um, I also find uh, this book and my first book to be good for Bible study groups, and a lot right. of study groups are finding that to be the case, especially in the second book. At the end, there is an appendix with some study questions. 
but I think each topic uh, does lead to conversation. And I feel comfortable with each chapter because I, I keep going back to the scriptures <laughs> to remain grounded right. in those scriptures. But it certainly is room for discussion and uh, biblical study. So I certainly encourage groups to to take either of the books and look at them. Yes, and although you are not an ordained minister in the typical sense of the word, this book comes across as though you are in ministry specifically because of the style of the book. Uh, and again, those uh, sub-chapters or subheadings in the chapters, uh, from my perspective, would make great talking points for a pastor, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to think so. And, you know, I'm called more to either write or, or talk to smaller groups, and I'm always happy to do that, um, about these subjects. Um, and I go to a number of Christian conferences throughout the year um, doing just that. So it, it's really a, a wonderful time to hear from other people, and they bring up questions. Um, in the book on friendship, I had one f- person tell me, well, I've tried all these things um, with this other person, and they still won't <laughs> respond uh, in friendship. Right. And then you, I sort of responded that you have to take a step back and um, you know, try again at a later date. But um, sometimes uh, you have to take a step back, and the friendship is, is the way to do it. But right. um, Beth, in how- any case, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I'm very happy to talk about these issues, and uh, they are fruitful discussion, I believe. Beth, how long did it take to complete Finding Freedom in God's Promises? This is, again, about 124 pages, so it's not a long read, but there's a lot of depth in what you have shared. Um, Probably about a year and a half. Um, I'm fortunate, uh, I think, in my church to have received um, good pastoral training and good preaching in a very practical way, and that's why I've stuck with my church, because it's... uh, been a good one for me. Mm-hmm. And so I feel between that and the Bible and study guides, and, and now with my uh, seminary studies, um, taking classes at Liberty University online, uh, that that's uh, giving some more strength and credence um, and value to what I'm um, writing and saying. What are your hopes with this book? What, what, what do you, if you were to describe the, the perfect audience for this, is this a book that will appeal primarily, I'm guessing, for those who are believers, but uh, is there also something there that might uh, entice others to read? Um, I certainly would hope that it would appeal to, um, to non-Christians as well as they, they search for the truth. I, myself, you know, have been targeting on you know, study groups and individuals who would normally um, be looking for a, a Christian book to strengthen their own faith. Um, but certainly I'd like to reach this out to others. And in the case of, of this book, I certainly want it to reach those that, that need to be reading this and that could benefit from it, could find strength and comfort. Well, tell, 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 is, tell, is my, tell my listeners the, the story about uh, the uh, taxi driver and the pastor who uh, make it to heaven. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the, um, it, it turns out they both get to heaven, and uh, the pastor's uh, sort of concerned why he's not led in right out away by St. Peter. Um, and then the uh, uh, taxi driver's led in has a much better uh, location than home up there, and that's because they're told that uh, whenever the taxi driver drove, that people were praying. <laughs> and whenever the minister was speaking, 
then people were falling asleep I, I, <laughs> the aisles. So. I've been I've been in a few of those services personally. I mean, it's, that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a great. You you've included humor in here, plus uh, I think wonderful insight. Uh, Beth, we live in a self-centered world where the uh, get and not give is a is a standard for most people in entertainment and also in life. What do you do to address that, and, and do you address that in your book? Well, there is one chapter on freedom from debt, um, and it really discusses how we can find freedom from debt by being a faithful steward. Um, those of you that have been to church at all might often feel that the church is doing nothing but asking for money. But really, being a faithful steward means not just our money, but also our time, and using both wisely. Um, I think we, we all know that we can't really always trust in our riches. Uh, we should give with an open heart that is focused on heaven. Uh, you usually reminded in church that you can't outgive God, and that's certainly true. Mm. But there are just so many different ways to give of your time and money. Um, there's the story in Matthew 25, 14 through 28, uh, the story of the talents, where you had a master of three servants, and he entrusted his property to them before embarking on a journey. When he returned, he found that the servants to whom he had entrusted five talents and two talents had both doubled the amount, but the servant who had been given one talent had hidden that talent in the ground where it earned no interest. Uh, so that, that whole lesson, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with, that story reminds us that only who have been good and faithful servants were rewarded. And no matter what our gifts are, um, whatever time or money that we do have, whatever gifts from God were given, that we're called to give those back. And by practicing that sort of heart of a faithful steward, we can find freedom from debt um, by avoiding spending money on certain things, but also spending our time wisely. Yes, there's some practical application there, and I have some minister friends who emphasize the importance of impacting our world in a positive way. Yeah, and it, it really not only goes into debt, but also just reminds us of, of where our treasure is and frees us from a lot of the concerns and worries, um, freedom from want. Um, we can trust God to fulfill our needs. Um, remember Paul writing in Phil Philippians 4.12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So taking the debt question even a little further it just shows us um, that is where our heart should be and the secret um, is to live in gratitude by remembering Christ and focusing on that and thanksgiving uh, learning to desire what God desires as they always say our, our wants are many but our needs are few and again it's just turning our focus back to, to God great advice it's an easy read in many respects, but it also is well thought out and well well researched. And again, for those who might have a Bible study group or a Sunday school class or even pastoral work, the book really might give you enough messages to preach for uh, six months to a year. I mean, there's just some great content in here, and yet it's not difficult to read. What do you think is the best way to describe this book? Have I described it properly, or is there something more that you'd like to share? think you have. Uh, certainly my objective is uh, for people who read it to find strength and comfort. And if they're in a transition in their life or just seeking some answers or, or feeling constrained by their own church um, that maybe is not as fulfilling as they would like it to be, um, by reading this book, I think it can help them 
understand that not all Christians are perfect, um, but that Christianity itself can really be freeing and uh, give you a lot of strength and comfort. This is a trans-denominational book. It doesn't really uh, have a specific doctrinal stance, I think, that would be out of the norm. It's it's very middle of the road. Wonderfully done. Again, the title is Finding Freedom in God's Promises. Uh, this is a book that would be an easy read and a great addition to anyone's library. My author, Beth Gable-Hicks. Beth, where do my listeners get copies of this book? Well, they can go to com, but probably the most uh, comfortable way would be to go to Amazon and uh, either search for it by title, Finding Freedom in God's Promises, or just searching by my name, Beth Gable Hicks, and they'll find it. Wonderful. And Gable spelled G-A-B-L-E, just like uh, Clark. And uh, Hicks is H-I-C-K-S. <laughs> Beth, this has been a wonderful experience visiting with you about your book. Again, the title is Finding Freedom in God's Promises, a great devotional book, great study book, or a great resource for anyone that uh, wants to learn about faith and the promises of God. Thank you for sharing that with us today. Thank you, and God bless. My pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts back in a moment. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute defines high cholesterol as a condition in which you have too much cholesterol in your blood. By itself, the condition usually has no signs or symptoms. People who have high blood cholesterol have a greater chance of getting coronary artery disease. According to the American Heart Association, more than 120 million Americans over the age of 20 have cholesterol counts that are above a healthy level. Harvard Medical School says that the good news is that cholesterol levels can be controlled, and just by lowering your total cholesterol 10%, you can decrease your heart attack risk by 20 to 30%. Making changes in your eating is important, but including daily exercise is a must. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host. The title of the book, The Handwriting on the Wall. And the author is Denise Ritchie. And Denise joins us now on Christian Living That Counts. Hello, Denise. Good morning. How are you? Great to have you with us. I'm going to read just a statement you've written about your book to just kind of set the stage for our discussion. You say this, This book is about a king, Belshazzar, who saw what his grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, went through because of his rebellion of not giving Jehovah God the glory of what he had and would not worship God. Of course, God got his attention in a very unusual way. So that kind of sets the stage. We go all the way back into Babylon, 600 B.C., and all of this applies to today, doesn't it? Yes, it does. That's the uh, sobering part of this, isn't it? That's right. Tell us a little bit about your background and how this book came about, Denise. Well, I was raised at the age of six. My father uh, surrendered to preach, so I was basically raised in a pastor's home. Um, We went to church every Sunday and, and enjoyed going. Um, I became a Christian to turn to the Lord at the age of 18. 
Um, I married a preacher, and we had three children. And um, several years ago, I was reading through the Bible. I had done that several years, and was reading about the kings of Israel. And we don't know a lot about the kings uh, of Israel except for Saul, David, and Solomon. And I thought, you know, that would would be interesting to write about uh, the the kings after them, and uh, so just left it at that, didn't do anything about it. And several years ago, in 2009, I believe, uh, we were in a, a Wednesday night Bible study, we were going through the book of Daniel, and we got onto the uh, chapter where Nebuchadnezzar had his dream, and uh, Daniel had to interpret the dream because the magicians and sorcerers could not do that for the king. And uh, it was the the Lord said, I, "I want you to write a book about this this king." And then I did. And then the next book that I wrote was Fortifier about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the furnace. And um, then after that, the the handwriting on the wall. Um, it was, and when you know I was told to write that one, it was just like, oh my goodness, it, this is our our country. Um, if we don't turn back to God, and this was in, uh, I believe, 2011 or 12, and, um, you know, uh, we're doomed as, as a nation because God is what our nation was founded on, and he needs to be first, and we need to be honoring him and living for him, and if not, you know, we're, our, our nation is going to be destroyed. And that's basically how the the book came about. I enjoyed writing the book, uh, you know, especially in the Old Testament uh, stories. It was um, it was it was just uh, an amazing thing that God wanted done, and um, I'm glad He chose me to to write about it. Well, we might, when we pick up your book, think, well, this is a children's book because it's illustrated and it's not very long. It's about, like you say, it's about this story of the handwriting on the wall with King Belshazzar uh, back about 600 B.C. So, uh, but it's for all ages, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, it is written uh, in a children's uh, setting. It does have uh, illustrations which helps uh, see what w- went on during uh, this story. Uh, they are very colorful. Um, Author House did an excellent job with uh, the, the illustrations. But it's written um, really easy to read for anyone of any age. Uh, and uh, the the goal of the book is for us to see that uh, no matter where we are in life, God can turn us around if we will um, get back to him. Uh, Bel, uh, King uh, Belshazzar, it, that was it. He, his time was up, and, and God did show him, even though he knew what his grandfather went through, and, and Nebuchadnezzar did honor and glorify God after he uh, went through his uh, time of trial, uh, Belshazzar did not do that, and so it was that was it for him. And God showed him in that unusual way that uh, you you have to honor and glorify me, um, 
but he, he didn't do it. I mean, he. And I believe God is giving us a chance right now, at this time, uh, to as a nation to to turn back to Him. Well, there's some key words in this. When a leader of a nation glorifies himself and doesn't glorify God, it it really shows the true nature of the person. Yes, it does. And uh, God is is Jehovah. And he's the one who is supposed to get honor and glory. Nobody else is. And he wants that. God wants us to honor and glorify him in everything that is done in our lives individually and as a nation. And for Christians, I believe most Christians understand uh, what you're saying. Uh, those who don't follow the Bible who aren't Christian uh, may not understand this story, but as we as Christians who recognize that, the, that Jesus Christ is the God of this land, it points very clearly that our nation is on the brink of destruction, just like what was going on in Babylon back 600 B.C. That's right. Uh, they were not honoring God. He was not the God of, of the land. And some decisions in this land have been made that has put us further uh, away from God. We've pushed him out, and, uh, and and God is not going to stand for that. One of these days, if we keep going that direction, um, God's going to put his hand of judgment on, on America. Any hope in your book? Any hope in my book? Yes, there is. Absolutely. Share with us, please. Where, wherever a person a church, a family, a nation is right at this point in their life. If that person, that family, that church, that nation will get on their knees and ask God to forgive them, turn from their wicked ways. If they don't know Jesus, accept him as Savior, and let's turn back to Jehovah. Yes, we have hope. Um, as individuals, as a nation. And, and that is, that's our only hope, is in Jesus Christ and Jehovah God. And God's promise, if we will do that, he will heal our land. Absolutely. Well, it's a real privilege to talk with you, Denise. It's needed, much needed, books of truth, books of prophecy, books of wisdom, and this may seem like a children's story, but it actually happened back 600 B.C. in a place called Babylon that was very wicked, and they found out that they must worship the God of the land. That's right, and we are going to find out ourselves as a nation and individuals, too, that we have to worship Jehovah God or we're going to experience his wrath. What's the best way to get your book, Denise? You can order it online uh, through Author House, through Amazon, uh, I believe Barnes & Noble. Uh, that, that would be the best way to, to purchase the book. We've been talking to Denise Ritchie, the author of her book, The Handwriting on the Wall. Denise, thank you so much for joining us on Christian Living That Counts. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, expose the book. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. 
But there are times when even I can't think of the right word. The inability to think of a word is called lethologica. Texas Monthly Magazine recently came out with some colorful homespun sayings. Old as dirt and common as cornbread in the Lone Star State. Did you hear about the Texan that could strut sitting down? But he was all hat and no cattle, which means very boastful, but with nothing about which to boast. On top of that, he don't know a widget from a wangdoodle or a diddly squat. His wife was a mighty strong woman. She'd charge hell with a bucket of ice water. She was always telling folks that he was so tight he could squeeze a nickel till the buffalo screamed. She also said he was famous for calling the hogs all night. Or snoring. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host. The title of the book, How Big Is God? And the author, Charlotte Husky, she joins us now on Christian Living That Counts. Hello, Charlotte. Hello. Great to have you with us, Charlotte. How big is God? This is the second in a series of family devotionals. We're going to talk about all these devotionals and how important they are to a family, at least from your point of view, because these are true stories, aren't there? This gives us an opportunity to discuss lessons of life from your true stories. Yes, these are all true stories that happened in my lifetime. And basically, in uh, this How Big Is God edition, uh, it contains 30 true stories that you experienced uh, your first years, your husband and you and your young children, when you were missionaries in Baja, California, Mexico. So God is a God of miracles. He surely has been in my life. He has been a God of miracles. So these true stories... We go back. Uh, now, take us back. When when does your book start? What what are the t- the time of your life? Uh, tell us a little bit what was going on in your life and how you happened to go to Baja, California in Mexico. Well, uh, my husband uh, had had a tragedy in his lifetime. When he was 17 years old, his mother was killed by a drunk driver on the highway. And uh, she had wanted to be a missionary, but was physically unable. So he promised God there on the highway he would take her place, and he would be the missionary in her place. Sorry, I get Uh, emotional. No problem. Uh, And so this, when he proposed to me, he said, will you go with me across the ocean and be a missionary? (laughs) Of course, you know, you're romantic. We were on the beach in Redondo Beach, California, out on a pier, and it was a beautiful romantic night. I said, yes. Well, life went on as usual, and we married and had our babies. Eight years later, he decided this was time that God wanted us to go. So eight years later, how many children do you have? I had four. Four young children. Right. Under the age of six. When we went, they were under the age of six. So how did you know where to go? Oh, well, that's another story. 
my husband and I left our home. We rented our house for the amount, the mortgage payment, so that if we ever came back, we'd have a home to come to. And um, packed our things we thought we would need as missionaries in a panel truck, which belonged to the church. <clears throat> we went to California, Southern California, headed for Mexico. We were sure that's where the Lord wanted us. And there were several mission stations that asked us to go to those mission stations, but my husband said, no, God's not calling us there. And okay, I said, come on, we got to do something. We can't just live with other people. We had stayed, I think, about three months with a friend in their home. And so he said, okay, I'm going to the mountains. He went to the mountains, was there three days praying. And when he came back, he said, God said to go to Rosarito Beach. I said, where is that? And uh, the couple we were staying with, the woman, was um, a weekend missionary. They went down all the time on the weekends. And she said, I'll show you where it is. And she said, we've been praying for God to send somebody there. And she went and got her map, spread it out on the table, and showed us where Rosarito was. And so, in a few days, we went to Rosarito. And what was that like for you? What were you feeling, all this is foreign to you, all this is new, you're not sure of what's going to happen? Um, I think uh, the way I thought about it probably at that time was I professed to believe God just as he says his word is, that all things work together for good to those that love him, and that he is a supplier of all of our needs. So I thought, well, this is a good time to prove him. Do you know we went down with only $10 in our pocket, and we had no assurance where anything else was coming from? You know, in the back of our mind, we were sure the church would stand behind us, but, you know, as far as having any promises, we had no promises. But God was real. He supplied everything we needed, everything a place to live without even renting. And when we went in the house, there was a kitchen stove, and that's really the only thing we needed that we didn't have already in our van. We had our beds, and we had a table, homemade table we made that you moved the legs off and put the legs back on. You know, anything to be able to really camp and exist we had except the stove, and the stove was in the house. So while you were there, what were some of the things that you experienced through teaching others and, of course, learning yourself as you were going through all this, building your faith? Right. It was a great faith builder. Um, I guess the main thing I learned that God was really real, just like he said he was. One time, we there's a story in the book, one time we had had beans and potatoes to eat for two or three days, and that's all we had to eat. And one morning I got up and I said to the kids, I said, why don't we go to the beach, spend the day on the beach? So <clears throat> that's what we did. And the boys said, let's try to catch a fish. Well, we didn't even have a fishing pole. 
But anyway, you know how children are. They daydream. And um, before we left the beach that day, a man came on the beach selling fish. And he had this fish that was about the same size as our son that was six years old. It was a big tuna fish. And um, he wanted to sell it to me. Thought I was American. I had money. I had no money. All the money I had was a 17 cents. And I told him, I said, I'd love to have your fish, but I have no money. Oh, yes, you do, and blah, blah, you know. I could hardly speak Spanish at all, but I got a few words in. And one of the girls that was with us, the teenagers that we tell about later in the book, was there, and she did speak Spanish, so she helped me. Finally, I said, I'll give you all the money I have for that fish. I really want that fish. Okay, he said, it's a deal. And he slapped my hand, you know, as if, you know, to shake hands with me. And I said, here it is. And he got really, really mad then. And he said, no, you've got more money than this. So I told the boys, I said, turn your pockets wrong side out. I turned mine wrong side out. I said, this is it. Okay, he said. And he gave me that huge fish for 17 cents. And I'm sure you and the family really enjoyed that next meal. Oh, we sure did. And not only us, but all of our neighbors. We didn't have a refrigerator. So I passed it around to all my neighbors, too. They all had fish. It was a huge fish. (laughs) Well, your book is put into 30 true stories, not just to read, but to discuss. Now, help us understand your vision of this and, and how it can help families. Well, I, that was one of my motivations for writing it. First motivation, of course, is just to share the things of God so that others can have the security and the peace, the wonderful relationship that I've had with Christ. My other motivation was that families could have family time together, have something to read, like a tool, you know. If you're going to call your family together, you want to have something other than to watch TV. I really think our cell phones, cell phones are the biggest robber of time with teenagers, I think. But TV, social activities, all these electronic games, things that children have, it really robs the family of that family togetherness. To me, family togetherness is the thing that helps children be stable in life. So you see these discussions, as you put it in your description of your book, the family who reads together, and I will add discusses these things that they read together, stays together. Right. That's that's what I believe. Well, it adds right to the family that prays together stays together. It all makes sense. Right. And I think when families um, have discussion time, it helps them to understand each other better. And then, of course, they can cooperate better if they understand from what angle this other person is coming from, you know. And so, to me, it just fortifies. Another motto that's been in our family for years is, 
We work together and trust God, and we can solve any problem. So that is another very good uh, point for families to remember. Work together. Be together. Well, this book, How Big is God? And we want to talk about some of the other books that you have, uh, that you are working on right now. In fact, even have released in uh, the, the near past. But this type of book really shares with all readers someone who has experienced God's miracles that literally you folks put it on the line, didn't you? You said, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to depend on God to take care of us. Well, he did. He surely did. And that doesn't make it easy at times. Well, life isn't easy. It doesn't matter what choice you take. It's not going to be easy. If you have all material things that you wish, you're going to have other problems. You're going to have, you know how it is, divorces, children getting on drugs, all these things that make life not very pleasant. And people are going to get sick and die. You know, they're going to have cancer. We just lost a granddaughter with cancer this last year. So life isn't easy. It doesn't matter what choice you take. Again, this first book, How Big is God, are your experiences and your first years as missionaries in Mexico, and you say God supplied our food and finances, healed our bodies, directed our steps, and delivered us from danger and jail. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so many, yeah, many, right. many experiences to reflect on and to, I'm sure, cherish. Right. Well, tell us about your other books that are coming out. You're, you're expanding your uh, sharing of your experiences. Well, the next uh, book that will follow How Big is God is called Growing Up with God. And it will be a little larger than, than this How Big is God. And it will be on the same type. It will be different individual stories with discussion questions about my children's. These four children that we mentioned in the first book, they're going to grow up in the next book, and they're going to go to public school and be just like any other child in the neighborhood. And they're going to get rocked sometimes. Another time they're going to watch um, a snake giving birth to its babies on the side of the hill and another time the little littlest one is going to fall in the pond where they're fishing and almost drown so there's a lot of good experiences there too how God took care of us and that will cover the next five years of our experience in Mexico and then after that the book that will follow that is our travels in Mexico when our children were teenagers, we moved back to the States, hoping they would get a better education and whatnot like that. And uh, at that time, uh, several years, we took missionary groups to Mexico, two, two weeks at a time. We'd take a group of teenagers and go down and do mission work, different types of mission work, and then come back. That will be the third story in that series. And what is that titled? Uh, that will be Traveling with God. So you're covering basically your missionary life in these three books. 
Um, no, not all, because after we got old and came back to the States, we worked in a mission here in Oklahoma City, a, a Spanish-speaking mission. So that's another story, too, but I don't know if that that one will get written, because I have a lot of other books to write. <laughs> I have written uh, character-building stories for the Church of God uh, Sunday School paper, you know, one for every Sunday. I did that straight for 15 years. I want to get those all organized and put them in the same type of, of book form so families will have them at their hands. And then Mabel, the first book that I printed in 2015, is the story of my mother's life until she married. Now, following that is the one I'm just finishing. It's called Our Father in Heaven. It is a story then of her children, Mabel's children. Mabel also is in Spanish. It's at the printers now, at Author House Printers. And it is also being translated into German. And How Big is God is also being translated into Spanish at this time. Now the proceeds from my from How Big is God will go to a scholarship system that we're setting up in Mexico for the children who want to study and cannot afford to study. So that's where the proceeds of How Big is God will go. Well, you're an amazing woman of many experiences, Charlotte, at the young age of, what did you tell me, 82? 81. 81. 81 years young and just uh, still on a mission now to share all your experiences. Uh, we salute you, Charlotte, and all that you've done along with your husband and your children. What an incredible, f- fulfilling life, right? Very fulfilling. I tell people, if you want to have an adventurous, fulfilling life, dedicate your life to God. He'll make it that way. You'll be happy in the end. How do we get your book, How Big is God? Well, it's on most bookstores, Christian bookstores, you could get it that way. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's on Barnes & Noble's website. I've looked at those two. Those are the only two I've looked at, so... But any Christian bookstore will probably have it, or if they don't, they'll, they can order it. So. Well, thank you so much, Charlotte, for joining us on Christian Living That Counts. Join us again for Christian Living That Counts.